0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett and uh, with me, hot foot from Thailand, probably hot everything actually, considering that it was a (laughs) bit uh, scorching over there, Where's Mr Neil Morrison. How are you Mr Neil Morrison?
1: Uh, very good, David. Thank you. Slightly jet lagged, but uh, there's no swarm of mosquitoes buzzing around my head for the first time in about a week, so uh, I can only view that as a positive.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, 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 speaking of mosquitoes, just to completely go off on a tangent. The um, uh, the photos I think was it of the Saturday nights that people were posting of um, all of the of that massive sort of mozzie swarm. That must have been quite impressive and quite terrifying.
1: Slightly terrifying, yeah. Um, we were staying in um, a couple of cabins, not far from the circuit, actually, um, just off the side of a highway. Um, it was nice, nice place, a bit rough and ready, but um, lots of long grass in between had uh, the, the cabins and between where we had to park our car and to get in so needless to say there was a uh, quite a bit of frantic uh, running and scurrying like little girls into our <laughs> cabins at the end of the day after <laughs> the uh the heavy rains because there were plenty of stories during the rounds that all sorts of things come out from uh out from the trees and the bushes whenever the the rain has stopped so uh yeah that was uh one thing to kind of consider uh, yeah yeah during our stay there
0: Yes, full-length, uh, full-length waders to actually get back to the uh, get back to the cabin to avoid anything from crawling into your shoes or up your trousers. Yeah, I can, uh, uh, I can understand that. Uh, anyway, the reason we are here is uh, not to talk about uh, all sorts of creepy crawlies which might be hiding in um, uh, in in the jungle in Thailand. Um, and that is not a reference to either Neil or uh, or or Pete, um, who you were with, uh, but to talk about the race in the uh, the race in Thailand, it was an absolute belter really, and a really good um, finale, a really good sort of closing of the 2019 championship, and also. It really sort of summed up the whole of the, uh, of, the of 2019 and the way that Mark Marquez came back from a massive crash on Friday morning and uh, dived up the inside uh, of uh, Fabio Quartararo to take the win and seal his championship.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty emphatic way. You can't really think of more emphatic ways to seal a championship than what he did uh, on Sunday. Um, he didn't have to do that. I think he knew from... Probably the 10th lap or something like that That the, the title was his He just had to cruise round He was well ahead of Andrea De Vizioso But um, Yeah, as we've seen this year um, That just isn't really enough To um, To quench Marquez's Insatiable thirst He's just uh, a bit of a Bit of a beast and animal um, In 2019 And um, Yeah, it's another chance to just Or it was another chance to get one over Fabio Corduraro, Um And To absolutely nail home the fact that he's been the, uh, the best rider heads and shoulders above all of his competition this year um, and it was, uh, it was quite awesome to watch. Um, I think one of one of the most impressive things is how he made pretty much no mention of that Friday crash after the, after the race finished we had two press conferences which is the, which is the, the, the custom the norm after someone sealed the world championship you have the normal one where we're allowed to ask questions about the race and then the champion stays on afterwards and you have the chance to ask Marquez about his year and everything that went into it and so forth and uh, yeah not at one point did he uh, did he mention Friday's fall any sort of pain or discomfort that he was feeling throughout the race um that was just not mentioned it was almost as if it didn't happen and I'm fairly sure that if you or I David were uh, flung from a motorcycle at uh, probably around 100 miles an hour the force that uh, with which he was flung and uh, smacked ourselves up pretty badly. I'm pretty sure we'd be talking about that for uh, weeks, maybe months to come, as we uh, made our way gingerly out of whatever kind of uh, wheelchair that we were <laughs> that we were in to, to get from A to B. So um, yeah, and, and in some ways that encapsulated Marquez's season because I think this was a year which had the potential to start off slowly and poorly because of the extent of his shoulder injury at the end of last year. Um, he, I mean, that was a very serious operation. And had it not, had the rehabilitation not um, gone as smoothly or, or been taken as seriously as it was, I think, you know, the first three, four or five races of the year could have been seriously affected, could have given a real advantage to someone like uh, De Siozo in the title race. But, we didn't see any of that. Uh, Marquez hit the ground running, and um, even though he may not have uh, told us or let on you know, how much that was affecting him, um, he was just as uh, as unstoppable on the track as he has been really since then.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, if um, uh, I. Just want to take a moment and tell everyone to read your outstanding blog on uh, the, the On Track Off Road website this morning, where you sort of, you know, pointed this out, and again, just emphasised how much work Marquez had put into recovering, um, not being allowed to to get on a motorbike. Uh, actually, having them take uh, the wheels, having his people having taken the wheels off of all of his training motorbikes to stop him from going out, uh, getting up, doing physio twice a day. You know, still being in pain well into the middle of the season, uh, and and yet still sort of carrying off the championship, and still finishing either first or second, and then with one sort of uh, one mis- well mistake, error, whatever you want to call it, at uh, at Austin. But I think you could arguably put that down to. Uh, Honda more than Marquez because it was a problem with the engine braking, a problem which uh, uh, Lorenzo and Cal Crutchley still complain about at the moment with the with the new engine. So perhaps, it, you know, you could easily put it down to them rather than to, uh, or, or put it more down to Honda rather than to Marquez himself.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's been a, a flaw, close to a flawless year. That Austin incident aside, um, on Sundays he's been... Pretty much next to unstoppable. I think Assen is the only race all year where you've thought, okay he was he was beaten that day. Yeah. Um, in all the other races, the the other four second places that he had in each of those, he very easily could have won that had the last lap panned out slightly differently. He was on the the cusp of winning it, you could say. Um, so one race out of what we've had, fifteen so 15. far. Fifteen. That was the fifteenth race, yeah. So one out of fifteen to be to be kind of soundly beaten in one of those. I mean, that's, um, that's almost as emphatic as it gets.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, like being beaten by a quarter of a second is a, is a big losing margin for Mark for, for markets this year. Uh, it has been astonishing. I mean, to me, I think this is a much more impressive achievement than 2014 when he won sort of 10 straight. And to an extent, because it felt like in 2014, he was winning sort of automatically and, and things sort of rolled his way as well. Uh, and the 2014 bike was a much much better machine than the uh, than the, the, the 2019 bike. Uh, I mean, so yeah, to me this was this is a much greater achievement. Do you think this is better than 2014? And the other thing is, do you think he could do any better?
1: Uh, yeah, it'd be tough to tough to say. I mean, had he he could do better by next year, not crashing in one race. <laughs> um, and maybe turn in one or two of those second places into victories that is entirely possible you wouldn't put that past them Um, but to go back to your first question yeah i think this is definitely better than uh, 2014 Um, some respects that year the planets aligned for mark Um, his teammate was beset by uh, arm pump issues throughout that year which he didn't let us know about until the start of 2015, but that was a big thing that kept Pedrosa back in 2014. Yamaha also got the, um, um, they, they got their bike kind of quite badly wrong at the start of the year. They had problems. Wasn't the, the fuel reduced to 20 liters in 2014 yeah. and they had real issues um, making that work. In the first half of the year, it was only really after the summer break that Yamaha got their, their act together. And there was no one else, really, back in 2014. It was, that, if you weren't on a Yamaha or a factory Honda, then you, were, you weren't really in with the shot. Um, because the, the GP14
0: was the first year. Uh, 2014 was the, the first year that uh, Gigi Delinia was working full-time with Ducati, but he, he hadn't built his first bike. The first bike that did it, Delinia really designed was the GP15. So the GP14 was, uh, you know, it was fast, uh, but it was, it was fast, but it didn't want to go around corners.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, he pointed this out on Sunday. Um, you know, this year there's been four manufacturers that can win races. Not always at the same racetrack or on the same weekend, but you know, Suzuki have been competitive. Most places, Yamaha have really got their bike sorted in um, in the last couple of races. In Ducati, um, okay, maybe it hasn't been as strong. Well, anywhere near as strong as it was last year, but it's still been a fairly decent package. Um, so and. Yeah, look at the struggles of Lorenzo and Crutch though to understand that this Honda is really not easy at all. Um, so yeah, Marquez, is uh, I think it's been his, his most comfortable year. And, and the only thing which says it hasn't been is the fact that he hasn't won 10 consecutive races or he hasn't won 13 races, but he still has a chance of equaling that win count. He's yep. got nine race wins so far. There's four races left. Um, and I think if he wins the next two races, he'll um, he'll then have a... Higher points tally than he did in two thousand and fourteen so he still has a chance to make this statistically his best ever as well
0: yeah yeah exactly because if you look at uh, if you look at the next four races there's mateggi where you know he sort of lost out very closely last year and where he could easily win there's Philip Island where he won he's, last year where, yeah where he's just been outstanding um, there is Sepang, uh, where I think he won last year uh, there's Valencia where he has won But again, it's not, you know, Valencia is always a bit of a strange race. It's a strange track and everything. So he could easily win sort of the remaining four and no one, you know, no one would really be surprised. But you said there are four manufacturers who could win a race. I would argue with that. I would say there are three manufacturers capable of winning a race. And there's Mark Marquez um, (laughs) because... The, the, the Honda really has been nowhere and you did I mean it was a really good job that you and Peter McLaren of Crash.net did with uh, catching up with Takeo Yokiyama. you caught him right at the right moment as well when he was a bit distracted by celebrating uh, um celebrating the the, the 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 championship and he basically said uh, well yeah Mark wanted more power so we gave him more power and we knew the bike was rubbish but we knew that he could ride around it <laughs>
1: Yeah, he might not have said those exact words, but that no, was, but that was roughly that the, that was of what the he underlying
0: said. message. I mean, you know, obviously I'm, <laughs> I'm translating from, uh, from corporate speak, but he did basically say we knew the bike would be difficult, which is corporate speak for, yeah, the bike's a bit rubbish.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, I was kind of taken aback by how frank he was, to be honest. Um, I think that is the key to interviewing uh, Japanese technical staff to uh, catch them when they're A, celebrating, and B, covered in champagne, and kind of reeking of champagne. Um, so, yeah, Takeo was, was quite open, and, and as you said, yeah, he said, Honda got a bit sick of losing uh, the top speed battle to Ducati. This is Honda Motor Company. I mean, we hear that uh, yeah. this is war. Honda's thinking is But he was literally Saying that to us This is Honda Motor Company We have to um, Yeah we have to show Our strength In that department And um, I mean There were races Or they happy I guess You have to go back To probably 2014 When Honda were last um, As strong as they are This year yeah. On straights um, So Yeah they, they They rectified that But at the cost of, of Many other Facets of the motorcycle This year I mean, one of the most impressive things, if not the most impressive thing about Marquez's championship this year, was that, obviously, he's riding in a very different way um, to what we've seen in previous years. He's less um, desperate or all action on the brakes. He's able to carry a lot more corner speed. He's using his body in a different way, um, and... Partly that's maybe because of the, the shoulder injury at the start of the year, but it's also because of, the, because of the, the different characteristics of the bike. It now accelerates a lot better and has a higher top speed, so he has to do less on the brakes. Um, and what Takeo said is that pretty much by the first race, Marquez had understood the new characteristics of the bike and how it needed to be ridden. And this is after he was around 50% fit, they say, at yeah. the Sepang test. Still quite some way from full fitness at the Qatar test So he essentially had six days of running You know in kind of full fitness in decent shape Before he had radically adjusted his riding style I mean that is a sign of of true greatness When you consider that Lorenzo and Crutchlow are still Kind of scratching their heads Wondering how to get the best out of this package
0: Yeah yeah, exactly. I mean, you see it with you see it with Cal, where he's um, uh, with with Crutchlow He's strong sometimes, uh, and he's sort of nowhere at other times, and it just sort of depends on whether the bike is is going to come to him or not. Um, whereas, I mean, honestly, to me, the strongest, uh, the most impressive thing about Marcus here is the fact that uh, he has. Either won everywhere, or as you said, you know, he's only been, you know, been properly beaten once this year, and that was at, uh, at Assam. All the other races, um, he's been, you know, he could have won. Um, he, he really had no business being uh, when he was beaten by, you know, a, 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 a tenth or a couple of tenths of a second. He had no business being sort of that close anyway. So it's yeah, or just, even at
1: races he won. I mean, let's be honest, Misano. Yeah. He had no business winning Misano. He probably had no business winning in Thailand either.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Ab- absolutely. I mean, you, you know, well, if you look where uh, look where the rest uh, finished. So, what was it? Second, um, uh, second. Honda was the 2018 bike. You know, it's yeah, intense. It's, it's, it's insane. After that, you're going down to sort of like 12, and then you're going down to Lorenzo. Now, Lorenzo is still injured, obviously, and that's still that's that, that's a problem. But he's just never. Really wrapped his head around the, uh, the 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 way that the Honda has to be has to be ridden. So it's just yeah, uh, and, yeah. and of course, uh, perhaps the most impressive thing is the fact that Honda. Well, I mean, sure, the, the you know they're, they're going to win the manufacturers' championship, but the uh, they the only re- re- it's only the first bike across the line which uh, which counts for the uh, for each manufacturer, which counts for the manufacturers' championship. But they're in it for the team championship, which is combined points of both tea, uh, both riders. And I think between them, Jorge Lorenzo and Stefan Bradl, when he was replacing him, have scored 33 points in that. And the other 325 are all Mark Marquez. And they're only, what's it, 19 points or something behind uh, uh, behind Ducati, that, that to me. And ahead of Suzuki, ahead of Yamaha, ahead of all the rest. That's, it's, just, it's just insane
1: yeah it's staggering I mean it's kind of embarrassing for the other guys to be honest. I mean, they must be looking at that and thinking Wow uh, what what can be done um, but um another facet that is quite impressive um, not exactly surprising is on Sunday in the champions press conference, um, Steve Day asked mark what now I mean what is your motivation and he was already thinking about, okay well. What goals can I set myself for the remaining four races? And he said, yeah, that's the goal now to get the triple crown. I mean, continue, like considering, or if you think the mark will continue on in his current way, which I think he will do until the end of the year, they're going to win the constructors championship, but he set himself that target of now winning the team's championship as well. So that's, that's his goal for the final four races. And then he came back to Spain on Monday. He was at a, a Repsol sponsorship event in Madrid uh, on Tuesday. And uh I was reading some of the things that he had told the Spanish press there and he said, also another thing, uh every time I've won a championship in the past, prior or before the last race, I've crashed at the next event. So that's my motivation for the next one is to put that <laughs> right. You know, so it's just constantly looking for little things, okay, where can I improve? How can I get better? Um and he's you know, he's looking at names from other sports to try and gain inspiration on in how they approach um, surpassing their previous achievements And he was noting Rafael Nadal Leo Messi You know, tennis and football superstars And I mean, that's, that's the level he's operating at And that's who he's looking to replicate And if you look at those guys They've dominated their sport for um, Well, Messi's case, I would say Like 12, 12 years, maybe 13 years M- Nadal It's probably around the same time as well um, So yeah, it's not It's not going to get any, any easier for um, Marquez's rivals, I think, in the coming years
0: yeah, I mean this. This is the thing. It um, because to me the most important thing or the most difficult thing is going to be keeping motivation. Because as you achieve each target, the, it it makes the less uh, the, the the next target seem less sort of significant. Um, you know, he's won all these championships. He's won uh, all of these races this year. I mean, I honestly can't see how he could um, how he could improve on it. Just because this is this season was so close to perfection. Um, but the thing is, you sort of see that people, the, the, the danger I think now is that they they lose fa- uh, focus. I wrote on Twitter that um, I think this, this reminds me a lot of uh, Valentino Rossi's 2005 season, uh, when it just seems, you know, you, you, before the race started, you know, you wrote his name in pencil in the winning cha- uh, uh, in the winning column, and were surprised when it didn't sort of, uh, when it didn't happen, just because he was so much better uh, be- better than the rest. Um, the question is, how does he d- do this? Where does he go from here? There's no doubt that he's sort of that his talent can keep him going. The question is, do you, you you know can he keep the same motivation? And that's that for me is the 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 really really uh, fascinating thing um if you look over the past the the median age of a world champion that's the 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 age at which uh the the most people are world champions or the most common age amongst world champions is 26 and he's 26 this year he'll be 27 next year uh so it's going to be interesting to see how how that works how that affects it um but perhaps um he will find his motivation from the man who came second and was pipped at the post, <laughs> uh, Fabio Quarteraro, We have to say that was quite a race from Quarteraro.
1: Yeah, it was. And I think everyone, well, not everyone, but uh, most of the top riders were asked about Fabio on Sunday um, and Mark and Rossi's reaction. Were exactly the same. It was like, okay, we knew this kid had talent. We knew he was good, but none of us expected this kind of uh, performance or him to be capable of producing these kinds of performances. Um, it was a, it was another stunning, stunning ride from Quadraro leading from the start, dictating a, a fierce pace. Um, there was a time when he was just rattling off. I think it was low minute thirty fours. That was the, the race pace, and and it, his consistency was really staggering. Um, and I think Mark came within maybe two or three laps of maybe giving up because he thought, right, I'm gonna give it two laps. Fabio was approaching around one second ahead um, and Mark then set after him and he managed to, to close him in just a little bit. But had he not, basically had Fabio resisted those two laps, I think Mark would have had to say, you know what, I think he's gonna be the better man today. Um, but for him even to put Mark in that position, it uh, was quite something comfortably Outperforming Rossi, Morbidelli, um, making vanillas, showing vanillas up again. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think essentially he's making a lot of people have quite a lot of problems because if it wasn't for Fabio insisting on leaning from the front and having such a, a fantastic ability to do this, Um, maybe we would have seen the likes of Marquez um, feel his way into the race a little more we know Vinales isn't very good at the start of races Um, that probably would have played into the hands of the Suzuki's and the Ducati's and maybe we would have had a closer race at the front but with Fabio in this kind of form um, and being able to be as fast at the start of a race as he is you know in the middle and at the end something that Vinales still hasn't got his head around um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of seeing the pack um, get stretched further apart. And, I mean, for a 20-year-old to be doing that, to be dictating yeah. things from the front, like that is really quite something. Um And, I mean, I didn't expect this, David. I'm pretty sure you didn't either. No. Um I mean, we, we have a very a very special rider on our hands.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, for sure. Obviously, he had a little bit of help this, uh, this weekend. He finally got the extra 500 revs. Um, uh, I, 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 think, I think it was Cyber Crafo who had a really good explanation for it um, uh, uh, in Pit Lane he was sort of like saying it's not really about the It's not about going faster. It's sort of in top gear with those extra 500 revs. It's not about it topping out more. It's more about um, uh, downshifts. It gives you more freedom to choose where you're going to downshift to over rev, uh, to keep a bike in a uh, in a lower gear. Um, knowing that the knowing that the bike will actually accept it, so that you can actually so you can get better drive out and uh, and have better gear selection on the on corner exit, and just basically go faster on corner exit. So uh, that obviously helps, and, and obviously Thailand was the race where he was going to get that, uh, where he was going to get those re- extra revs because it's the place where he most needs them. I think. Bury Ram and Mategi are the two circuits where he will actually get the most benefit from the, uh, from the extra revs. So it's obvious that uh, that, that was where they, were, where they were going to do it. Um, but it's also obvious that Fabio really is a, a little bit special. Do you think that if um, it had not been... If it had been Maverick Vinales ahead of him or maybe uh, Danilo Petrucci, and Mark would have tried quite so hard to win?
1: Um, it's a good question Maybe if it was Petrucci No If it was Vinales, Absolutely yes 100% um, Yeah I think he would I, I, I really do think, um, think He would have done What he did On the final lap um, He was asked On Sunday How would he like to be remembered When he retires And he gave quite a good explanation Saying why is it that Randy Mamola is remembered uh, with greater affection than a lot of guys that won world championships in the 80s? Maybe like Eddie Lawson, for example. And it's because of the show, he, what he contributed to the show. And Marcus said that this is how he wants to be remembered: this kind of all-action, never give up, uh, 100% to the last corner style that he's he's kind of notorious for. Um, and you know what better way to to win a world championship? So yeah, I think I think he had it in his mind that right. I'm going to win the race this weekend, become world champion in the most emphatic way possible. And the fact that, uh, you know, it beats the guy that everyone's bigging enough to be my next rival over the, the, the coming five or six years, all the better.
0: Yeah, but I think Marquez thinks that uh, Quateraro is his uh, is his next rival too. Because I, I mean, I had a sort of a, a brief chat yeah. with someone from Honda quite early in the season, maybe uh, uh, I either Austin or Jerez. and he basically and he basically said, you know, Fabio's the only rider that Mark's afraid of, um, really afraid of, because he knows that Fabio's not afraid of him. Um, so that makes for a really, really interesting challenge. I mean, why is Cuauhteraro beating the other Yamaha riders?
1: Um, Well, obviously, his his level of talent is exceptional, but I think that alone doesn't really explain it because you could look at Vinales, I mean, Rossi. These guys are, you know, by no means uh, duds. Um, But I think it's it's the understanding of how the Yamaha needs to be ridden. Um, I know that's like such a it might sound a bit hackneyed because it's been said over and over, but I mean, you look at Lorenzo Zarco as well when he was basically beating the factory guys in 2017 on a bike that was one, one and a half years older than theirs. um, They understood exactly how that Yamaha needs to be ridden. And I think Vinales has spent three, close to three years now, bashing his head against the garage wall, um, trying to make his more aggressive uh, style work. Um, on the bike and it's just, it's not quite come out with the same results as Fabio's getting at the moment. Um, I think there's, there's incredible bravery. Um, there was, uh, I think it was um, Wilco Zielenberg who was speaking to Matt Oxley after the race at Misano and Wilco was saying some really interesting things about Fabio's ability to, to manage the front. Um, maybe he wasn't saying it's exactly Marquez-esque, but his ability to feel the front and the, the limit to save quite Substantial front end slides is really that's quite special as well, um, and yeah, fearlessness. You know, just fearlessness, and, and he's riding a, a real wave of confidence at the moment. Um, you know, I think all of those things are are contributing to that. He's in a he's in a good place. He's probably never been in a a team as good as this, um, and he has that sort of fearlessness that comes with with youth and being a rookie and having never having been. Comprehensively beaten by Marquez, you know. There's only so much. I'm sure Vinales, someone like Vinales, can take. I mean, he's had his ass handed to him by Marquez for three years now. When he's on a bike that should be capable of fighting him, um, Fabio hasn't had that yet. And uh, you know, that fearlessness, I think, goes goes some of the way too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could see how. Uh, well, I mean, Quartararo's reaction after the race. Was really instructive. You could really see that. I mean, he was angry and frustrated at being beaten in the uh, uh, sort of in the last corner. When he, you know, he tried the last corner pass. He knew that he was going to get past sort of on the back straight, um, and he knew he had to try and get, try and get back again on Marquez. And he tried run wide, couldn't get it turned uh, enough, lost too much drive, and Marquez or was back up the inside on him uh, uh, to to take the win. But his reaction, I think, was really instructive for a man who doesn't believe he deserves to be beaten, who believes that he can beat Mark. Um, It wasn't sort of, oh, well, what a shame, never mind, I lost to the the world champion. Even though he actually said that in the press conference, you know, I'm getting this close to an eight-times world champion, what he was really saying was, uh, it was stolen from me. I'm going to get him next time. Just you wait. Is is <laughs> is this the future? Are we looking at the future?
1: Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I I wouldn't say it's it's solely going to be cordero Um, but yeah, I look at guys like I think you know if you put Vinales on a Ducati, I think for example he could be someone that's consistently up in the mix. Um, you look at other guys coming through, someone like Joanne Meir, in one or two years, I think he could be quite special as well. Um, but yeah, there's. I think in a decade's time, we'll look back at 2019 and say that this was definitely a year when one era of, of kind of greatness came to, came to an end because we're, we're seeing Lorenzo struggling terribly, um, Rossi, um, Austin aside... Maybe to a lesser extent Qatar I mean we haven't seen Rossi challenging Or being anywhere near Challenging race wins This year um, To an extent It feels that this is One of the You know That, that great generation Of, of riders Yeah is you know, obviously Just retired It's coming to an end Somewhat And you're naturally Looking at the future And quarter hour Certainly is that um, I've never seen A rider Before coming Into the Grand Prix Prada Come in with As big a Expectation on his shoulder Or with as good a track record as what Fabio did when he was 14, 15 years old, winning Spanish championships on crappy little private FTR Honda Moto3 bikes with no funding. Um, The first year that he won a Spanish championship, they didn't have, they didn't even have like number one place they had to borrow, you know, celebratory (laughs) championship winning number one place to put over the front of his bike from a rival team because they were so underprepared and uh, slapdash, you know, that's, but yet he was, he was kind of showing up the guys that were on Alcimora's Australia, Galicia, Hondas, you know, so stuff like that, that's, you know, you only do that if you're a very special young rider. Um, He obviously lost his way, but yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's the future, yeah, yeah. Um, And our colleague, um, Adam Wheeler, who's obviously appeared on the Panic Pass podcast a few times before, um, he has his reservations, and I think kind of justifiably so, he keeps saying to me, like, look at Zarco, I mean, look how Zarco has lost his way whenever that kind of excitement regarding a new rookie um, passes. Um, but I think there are some real differences with, um, with Fabio. Age. And age, exactly, being one of them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, age,
0: it, it's a big thing. Zarko is, what, 29 now? Um, he was 27 when he got on the, uh, the Yamaha. Um, Fabio is 20 it's a uh, it, it, it's very very different it, it's also a very very different sort of uh, time period if you like it's a it, it's a very different stage in his career Um Quateraro came without being a champion Zarco was already a double Moto2 champion and Zarco had taken a while to get up to speed uh and also Quattro has already outperformed Zarco in terms of points and in terms of podiums i think Zarco got two podiums in his first year and this was Fabio's fourth or his fifth i can't remember um yeah this
1: was his fifth yeah um i'm trying to remember how many podiums Zarco got in his first year i think it was more than two um but you know yeah i think you know Fabio's probably got more than more than what he got. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he got as many as five. Um, yeah, no,
0: no, no, exactly. I mean, I, I remember looking at the numbers and saying that that, that Quateraro is already out, outperforming Zarco. I think um, obviously, you know, Quateraro is on a better bike because of, because he's on a current bike. But um, yeah. he also seems to have the mental strength. I mean, this uh, b- my abiding memory is of Charef uh, uh, talking to him maybe fifty minutes after the after. The quick shifter had broken, and he'd been sort of come out after leading the race, and um, uh, he was perfectly calm and happy, and all the rest of it. He was absolutely gutted when he came in, and he was really, really upset. Uh, but that lasted about ten minutes, and then it was over, and it was gone. And it was the same, I think, on on, on Sunday as well. You saw that um, uh, Quatero was really upset at being beaten, um, but by the time he got to the press conference, even by the time he got into Parc Ferme, he would he'd. Uh, 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 sort of learned, accepted, understood it, put it behind him was looking forward to uh, trying to figure out a, be- a way to beat uh, beat markets.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, you, well, almost mentioned it there. I think one of the things that says that this guy is special is that two of his most impressive races this year have come at Jerez and Mizano, two tracks that are notoriously difficult for grip in very, very hot conditions when a lot of other people were struggling with a lack of grip, and he was there. Okay, Herethi wasn't quite leading from the front, but he was, he was chasing Marquez down whenever his gear shifter broke um, in second place, way ahead of the other Yamahas. And yeah. at Mizano, I mean, he was leading from the front, and those were as difficult conditions you're gonna find anywhere, uh, the ones that we had at Misano a couple of weeks ago, and he was there. So that, I think, that is confirmation that, uh, yeah, that we've got someone really special here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the problem now, or the issue now, is that Yamaha have to produce a better bike. But it feels like uh, there have been lots of new faces in the Yamaha garages. There's new and uh, well, there's, there's new Japanese engineers, but also old Japanese engineers who were involved in the project, project previously. Uh, there's more changes going on in the background. Um, I spoke to. Uh, uh, Lynn Jarvis, asked Lynn Jarvis about doing an interview about the changes um, going on in Yamaha. She says, well, uh, yeah, happy to do it, but uh, later on we're still sorting a few things out and so there's, there's definitely sort of things going on which are going to make oh, yeah. which is yeah it's really going to make uh, life interesting uh, we've seen again a carbon swing arm for uh, uh, which so far only rossi has used the new exhaust which gives a little bit more power so there's clearly uh real shift we've seen them already bring two uh, two prototypes of the 2020 bike um so I think there's real reason for optimism to think that Yamaha are going to do better.
1: Yeah, and just to back up what you were saying there, Dave, um, I mean, we learned a couple of races ago that um, Yamaha are now doing what Honda has done in the past. Um, they're going to Ducati, which is known for its exemplary electronics package. And they're starting to handpick some guys from there. They did it, obviously, with uh, Michele Gada, who was involved in Ducati's World Superbike project before he moved across to to the Pata, the, the Crescent uh, Yamaha World Superbike team, and now he's working on MotoGP, he has excellent expertise, and of course there's news that uh, they're going to be picking up Jack Miller's telemetry guy, uh, Marco Friguerio. Um he'll be moving across at the end of the year, and if Paddock Whisper is to be believed, this guy Friguerio is a big coup, because he knows apparently all the secrets of the magnetti Morelli software, um, and Ducati are really quite upset that he's defecting because they know that he knows uh, a great deal of, of what makes their electronics package um, so good. So, yeah, so Yamaha, they're, they're finally, I mean, we've, for close to, what, three years, we've sort of spoken on this podcast incredulously wondering what is going on. Why is there no signs of progress? what Where is the joined-up thinking? We've finally got it. Um, they're attracting some very, very able personnel um, they're changing a lot of positions behind the scenes, as you said, uh, European test team, changing a lot of, um, putting a lot more responsibility on their European headquarters, I mean, yeah, Yamaha are are getting serious, and about time, um, and, it, and it shows, I mean, you would say now that Yamaha has as strong a package as anything on the grid, you would have to say, judging by Misano, um, judging by Thailand, interesting little tidbit from the weekend, was um, Davizioso talking about Aragon, he was saying, you know, like, okay, we beat Yamaha there. Me and Jack finished on the podium ahead of Maverick and Cordero, But I'm conv- De was absolutely convinced that they messed up their tire choice for that race. Had they chosen the soft rear tire like he did, uh, the Yamahas would have been up there in Aragon as well. So, yeah, yeah they're in a they're in a good place
0: yeah exactly like i said there's been lots of changes back in japan and that's all filtering through to to it and it looks like or from the reports i was saying it looks like Zarco is going to be the test rider for next year um yep. galbocera me-
1: rossi's current crew chief sorry as with silvano galbocera Ross's current crew chief as the head technician of yep. the, the the test team
0: yeah exactly which is also interesting because you know Zarca has a very particular corner speed smooth corner speed style very much like Lorenzo if Quattro has got the same style then he sort of makes you wonder you know is this the direction that the bike is going to go in which is fine but it also they also need to be able to overtake people because you don't always get to sort of you know lead from the lead from the start uh uh it, it, so yes, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see sort of what happens. Uh, if they can find some more horsepower, that's going to be a really big uh, a really big deal. Uh, so uh, we shall see with that. Where does that leave? I mean, we saw well, we saw the strength of the of the whole package because we saw not only was uh, uh, Vinales there, but uh, Morbidelli was also uh, competitive. Uh, Valentino Rossi did not have such a great race um no. but the fact that we had you know 3 Yamaha's in the top 6 four in the top 8 um it, as you say it, it it's it's a it's a sign that the Yamar really is uh, really is uh, improving um the mystery of Maverick Vinyales.
1: yeah just sorry sorry dear, before we go on to, to Maverick um another thing Marquez was noting how... Well, that bike is hooking up Out of corners And yeah. he said basically In the uh, the second half Of the lap in Thailand Whenever he was fo- following Fabio uh, He said The traction that they're not getting In second, third, fourth gear While on a lean angle That is... Something that they've really got right in recent races, um, so yes, yeah, so that's quite impressive. Also, yeah, I mean, I think that's,
0: um, I think that's a sign of the, of the the basics of the bike is good. That the basics of the bike is you know the the the, uh, the the basic design is good, and it really is just sort of you know tweaking around the edges to make it uh, to make it really impressive. Uh, but Maverick was not having was not finding the traction.
1: He wasn't finding the traction, and it's yeah, it's it's the same old story, isn't it? It's um, he's now worked out how to get good starts and last couple of races he started well um he's been okay on the first lap and then there's this kind of anonymous period for 10 laps 8 to 10 laps from lap 2 to 3 or lap 2 or 3 um onwards where he just loses time hand over fist he can't run the 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 pace and and he has a, a sort of vague feeling on the front end of the bike and it's, it's very strange, yeah, um, and it must be so frustrating as well, because um, same issue as Silverstone we saw, he had the pace to probably win the race there, he probably had the pace to win at Mizano, he had, certainly had the pace to win in Thailand. Um, he's not getting the results that he, uh, he could be getting, um, and he seems none the wiser. Uh, no, as to why because he's struggling in this part of the race. Exactly,
0: because his pace in the second half of the race is just is outstanding. I mean, he was catching he was catching the leaders at the end. He was doing the same. Um, uh, he was easily doing the same pace as them. It's just that for about sort of five or six laps, he was half a second or, or more slower.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and he's trying to stay positive. Um, he made a pretty good point he said you know I was one second off at the end of 26 laps of racing in pretty intense yeah. tropical conditions I mean that's not we're not talking about a crisis here he is close you know? yeah, exactly he is, he is in the ballpark but <laughs> it's just frustrating to see the frequency with which he's finding these issues and then the lack of um, lack of ability to um, yeah to, to overcome them um, and I did see I was a little bit you know clenching my teeth when he was talking in the press conference he did resume that sort of line of argument that he had last year where it was like you know i'm, I'm doing everything right the, the team now, it's not up to the team to do a better job with with rectifying this because i'm doing absolutely everything right in the bike you know that it's down to the team to to find out why i'm having this issue and it's well it's not i don't think the best way to to maybe approach that kind of issue
0: uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, turning to Valentino Rossi, he seems to be really struggling again. Uh, seem to have problems with the tyres. And uh, as we, as you said earlier, uh, swapping crew chief Silvano Galbacera will be uh, leaving at the end of the year to go off to the test team. And uh, David Munioff, I think, is um, will be uh, will be his crew chief. Um, yep. We don't really know very much about David Munioff other than that he has worked with, or, you know, he's, well, he works with P- Pekka Banyar, Won the championship with him. He's the uh, Moto Two crew chief in Sky VR Forty Six. What do we feel yep. about uh, 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 about this move? Is it a lost uh, roll yeah, of the dice?
1: Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't really know so much about Muñoz because Sky essentially put like a little uh, brick wall around him this weekend. I tried to get speaking to some people from the Sky team to just find out a bit more about him because he, he kind of caught me off guard, to be honest. I, I hadn't really, wasn't aware of the name. Um, some of the Spanish journalists I spoke to, you know, he's a Spanish guy, um, weren't really, um, were, were really surprised that Rossi had gone for him. Um, he's working with Nicolo Buluga this year. Some of the people he's worked with in the past include Lorenzo. He was uh, Lorenzo's crew chief when he first moved to the World Championship in two fives in 2002 mm. with Derby. Uh, he also was a fixture in Cedo Pons' Moto2 team for a couple of years. So he worked with Vinales and Alex Rins when they were both in Moto2. Um... Uh, I asked all of those guys about him and they didn't really uh, say have much you know, insight to say other than, yeah, he's a nice guy, he's quiet, he's calm. Um, but Rossi was saying that how he managed Peko's nerves uh, towards the end of last season, whenever the championship was getting closer, there was a couple of race weekends where Peko was clearly uh, very nervous and uh, feeling a bit of pressure on his shoulders. and uh, By all accounts, Munoz did a pretty good job at um, m- keeping him level-headed. Um, But for Rossi, absolutely last roll of the dice, you'd have to say. Um, And he admitted as much uh, himself on Thursday after the news came out. He told Italian journalists, um, uh, you know, I I don't want to have any regrets. Um, uh, You know, if I try this and it doesn't work, I I can say at least I tried. At least I tried to shake things up a little bit. And we did hear, we have heard whispers over recent years. I mean, Rossi um, and his team I think Are too professional Too experienced um, To to let things like this Get out in the press But you do hear Occasional little whispers Of some people Maybe expressing Some doubts As to whether Silvano Galbacerra Was the absolute Top, top, top Top level Technician Required to um, While the Yamaha Obviously were in Difficult times You know were, Was he a technician That could Reverse Some of those uh, Those difficult periods That they were in Maybe not. I'm not sure, Um, but some whispers suggested that he maybe wasn't. Um, So yeah, it's uh, it's last roll of the dice. Um, Fresh face coming in. We've seen Esteban Garcia on the other side of the garage come in with no experience of the M1, and and Vinales has done pretty well this year after a a desperate start. I mean, you know, he's consistently there now. Um, But yeah, Rossi's just struggling from the same issues. Just cannot make that rear tire work after six, seven laps. yeah, whatever Vignale's and Quinteraro and are doing, uh, he just doesn't seem to have. Well, he, it just isn't working for him, um, and yeah, he's not. He's not too sure why.
0: Yeah, I mean, the uh, to an extent, you could see this a bit in a similar vein to the time that um, Rossi switched from uh, Jerry Burgess to Silvano Galbusera, in that. Uh, it's more about changing himself than changing anything else. It's more about, uh, you know, finding a new way to motivate yourself, trying to trying to reinvent yourself, trying to um, give yourself something to fight for, perhaps, you know, something more to fight for, trying to find a way to, you know, almost make life harder for yourself. You know, switching switching crew chiefs is never... Simple, um, it's not the biggest problem in the world, but it does mean that you have to sort of you know figure out lots of figure out your communal language again. And so, I think this, uh, uh I think this is also a way for Rossi to try to motivate himself, perhaps to try to see if he still is motivated enough to, to carry on. I, I mean, do you think next year will be Rossi's last year?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do. Um I'm you know, he's he's proven us all wrong, I think, um, in recent years by his, his sheer longevity in the sport. It's taken us all back. Um I remember thinking the same after two thousand fifteen. I thought, you know, I think the way he's acting now he's he's probably he's probably done. But he came back the following year, um and was the fastest Yamaha in twenty sixteen. So, you know, he does have that ability to to turn things around. Um but it's the fact that this year he's not even the second best Yamaha, he's, he's quite often he's the third or the fourth one. Um, yeah. And he's been so comprehensively beaten by, by Vinales and Quartararo. I mean, they are in a, a different league at the moment um, to where he's at. Um, yeah, because he's, yeah, he's
0: he's currently two points ahead of uh, Fabio Quartararo, and you wouldn't put any money on him finishing ahead of Quartararo in the championship this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of um, even... In that first year with Galbo when was that 14? I mean, he had a pretty good, that was a decent year for him. He won two races that year. Yeah. Uh, 13, even the year before that with Yamaha when he came back, um, he won one race and he still had plenty of podiums. I mean, he's not really even been close, David, like the last, yeah, since the first three races, he's not even been close to there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and obviously, Aust- you know, the, Austria, it, it's a sign that the Yamar is still not, I mean, it's a fantastic all-round package, but it still misses a little bit, and it clearly misses what Rossi needs, and yet... Fabio Quartararo has been second. Um, uh, Misano and, uh, and, and and Thailand. Uh, Maverick has been consistently sort of uh, on the podium. Maverick is you know clearly a long way. Maverick's in a in a really good spot to take uh, to to take third in the championship this year. So yeah, it really does feel like they. Uh, I mean, to me, it's always seemed that uh, Valentino Rossi will stop once he stops believing that um, he can be competitive and it's starting to get to the point to that sort of like tipping point Um, uh, I mean I don't think he could win another championship I do think he could win another race but I think it would be um, things would have to align. you know the stars would have to align for him to 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 win another race you know things would have to sort of fall into line perfectly and he'd have to have exactly the right bike exactly the right track
1: Dave, the the stars did line at austin and he still didn't win the race
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a good point that's a, that's a that's a very good point so who you know who knows who knows what, uh, what's going to happen so um uh, if you want to see valentina rossi at Mugello, then you're probably better off uh, 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 buying your tickets for next year rather than waiting for 2021 yeah Right, uh, we'll take a quick break, and then I think we'll come back for uh, our winners and losers, and a, and a quick word about Ducati and uh, Suzuki. Welcome back. Um, well, obviously we've talked about the uh, the big news, Mark Marquez and uh, the uh, Yamas. We have to talk a little bit about uh, Andrea Dovizioso. Uh, Dovizioso never really got it started i mean he didn't qualify quite where he wanted to um uh, ended up um what were, was it on the third row seventh on the grid got a great start uh, sat, uh ended up being in fourth but n- could never really challenge could never really get close didn't have the same uh, race pace that uh, that any of the any of the others did
1: yeah exactly yeah he um yeah, it was never really quite there. I mean, he was fast, but um, yeah, as we saw at a couple of races recently, um, you know, the Marquez-Quadrero-Vinales uh, trio is, um, is kind of head and shoulders above the rest at the moment, and that seems to include Ducati. Um, and yeah, it makes, you, it makes you look back at last year and, and sort of assess why Davizioso Vizio, and Ducati were so successful at certain races like Thailand. Um, and you have to say it was probably down to the fact that uh, rear tires were having to be managed um, a lot more carefully last year than they are this year. We know that Michelin's 19-spec rear compound um, certainly goes the distance uh, a lot longer. And basically, we're seeing you know r- riders riding, from, riding at 100% from the first lap until the end, essentially. Um, whereas if you look at last year, and Thailand, uh, I mean, De was was leading a lot of that race. He had the top speed advantage over everyone else. So it was fairly easy for him to do that. And he was able to manage and conserve his rear tire while he was doing that. Um, and we saw, I think, as many as, what, 11, maybe 11 riders at one point during the first half of uh, the Thailand race last year, just because, um, yeah, the, the tires weren't really on point. Um, so take away the top speed advantage, take away... Um, one of his best attributes, which is to manage the rear tire. That's not as crucial as it was in the past. And suddenly he's having to overcome the Ducati's defects um, a lot more because his uh, his kind of strongest traits, I think, have been blunted. Um,
0: And and also... Uh, of course it's not just it's not just tires it's also horsepower so you put together the fact that the Ducati has um, uh, you you know it doesn't have the horsepower advantage which Marquez could which Stovachers could use against Marquez and uh, take away the uh, tire advantage and it just it yeah it, it really sort of blunts the tools and it looks like uh, the 2020 tire is going to be uh, sort of even better in that respect or, or worse depending on which way you look at it uh, the, the tire's going to be tested at phillip island but uh, the feedback on that has been really really good it warms up quickly and you know, it's up to it's up to speed quickly and it's uh, it's, you know, it's another one of these tires that you can just push right from start to finish
1: yeah, yeah, so Ducati are clearly going to have to, to do something to, to you know, work on, I don't know. It, it You know, Davizio clearly believes that the philosophy of the Ducati needs to change um, next year. Um, but I think uh, Gigi Delinio spoke to someone from uh, Italian website GP1 over the weekend, and uh, Gigi Delinio is very much in the camp that the philosophy of the bike does not need to change <laughs> and that only... Um, only some of its uh of its of its stronger facets will be enhanced basically so uh yeah it does seem that um they're both singing from different um they're not singing from the same hymn sheet
0: and th- again this is exactly what uh, one of the reasons why there are such strong rumors of a uh, of a split between Dovicioso and uh, dea it also makes you suspect that um uh, this is one of the reasons why Delinia has uh, uh, well, makes keeps making uh, what is it? Keeps on making uh, making sort of moon eyes at um, uh, at. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo because he believes that Lorenzo can actually use the strengths of the bike to, 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 for it to be competitive and uh, Dovicioso keeps on asking for a bike which will turn and he keeps on not getting a uh, bike which will turn so you sort of expect that Dovicioso could be seeking opportunities elsewhere for 2021 but uh, we shall have to see see about that really
1: yeah, Yeah, exactly, there's not really anything that you're hearing from Ducati at the moment, which indicates that the um, will be staying beyond that. So
0: yeah, and um, once again, also turning to Suzuki, um, Alex Rinks finishes fifth from I think was it tenth, ninth, tenth on the uh, on the grid. Yeah, tenth on the grid, fourth row, as usual. Um, you know, a, a very mediocre qualifying session, uh, but he fights his, he manages to pass people, something which. It, almost uniquely I, I should think that if we go back at the end of the season, if we go back and pass, uh, count all of the passes, uh, uh, made and all of the positions gained, then, uh, Alex Rince is going to be sort of head and shoulders above the rest. But that's in part because he, he's just so bad at qualifying. What is going on with Suzuki?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's something that he doesn't really seem to understand. Um, because I mean, Tran Mears qualifying hasn't exactly been desperate, you know. I think Mears, you know, I qualified. Rins um, was by no means a, a disgrace. I wouldn't say Rins is a disgrace on, on in qualifying terms, but yeah, he's de- definitely a, a well a long way below where he needs to be. Um, yeah, it's a it's a funny one. Um, He's, he's kind of lost a bit of that gusto that he had, uh, you know, first half of the season um, where he's pretty much competitive everywhere. There's been a few sort of fallow races. I don't think Sunday was a bad result, um, but I just think that Yamaha's recent improvements have really um, demoted Suzuki from, you know, where they were, um, maybe being possibly the best bike on the grid to being one of the best bikes now on the grid. Um, and with Rins giving them such a such a big advantage um, in qualifying terms, then it's, um, yeah... It's, uh, it's not really working out, but still some strong tracks coming up for him. Um, I mean, if you look at last year, he was on the podium at, in fact, Suzuki were on the podium at all of the four races remaining. Um, Ianoni was on, uh, he was second at Phillip Island, probably should have won that race at Phillip Island if we look back and analyze it. Um, and Rins is on the podium at Metegi, uh, Sepang and Valencia, and quite good, quite possibly have won at Valencia as well. Uh, had circumstances been slightly different. So some good tracks coming up for him. I think that he still has the potential to finish the season really well. Um, yeah, we'll have to keep our keep our eyes on that.
0: And Joanne Mir as well. I mean, as Juan Mir is really starting to come good. Is he's, he's starting to sort of, you know, understand what it takes to ride a MotoGP bike. And he just seems to get stronger and stronger towards the uh, end. He's exactly where you'd expect him to be sort of as a MotoGP rookie. Um, and he's really starting to, give his teammates some trouble
1: yeah if you listen to some people that work at Suzuki um Rins is definitely becoming a little bit wary of uh, Mir's growing threat um is a little less inclined to let his younger teammate follow him on track for example or to um you know uh, to relay some of the uh, the great um, setup changes that have aided him uh, on out on track, so Rin certainly knows that Mir is uh, is a big talent and, and will be a, a bit of a challenge in the future. Um, I, I think Mir could have even gone a bit further, finished a bit closer towards Rin's than he did on Sunday, but he admitted that basically physically he was just spent. Um, In the the kind of searing Thai heat It was the first time Since he returned from injury Where he thought You know what Actually I'm still Nowhere near as fit As I need to be And that's basically Because he was lying In bed for You know Three to four (laughs) weeks After that huge testing crash at Brno So He's still recovering um, Still recovering His fitness Um, But yeah yeah, He was pretty confident That he could have finished Towards A lot closer to Rins On Sunday Had an up-in for that
0: Um, Right Well let's get on towards our winners and losers for the weekend. Um, Neil, who was your big winner for this weekend? Uh,
1: big winner was, that's a good question. I, you know, Marquez obviously winning his championship, uh, youngest rider to win eight championships, uh, youngest rider to win six MotoGP championships. um, three years younger than Rossi and Agle were when they won their uh, their sixth Premier Class crown. And that's quite something. Um, uh, so, yeah, Marcus. I mean, how could it not be? Um, yeah, he won the championship and he won it in the best possible way. Um, and that was uh, leading from the front. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, hard to disagree. Um, I think I am going to go with Fabio Quartararo. Uh It's a bit obvious, but then... He came so close to beating Marquez, um, and you just know that it's coming. You know, you just know that there is going to be a uh, there's going to be a race win in there somewhere, and um, it's going to be. The question is when can he do it before the end of the season? And I think if he does it before the end of the season, that really is proof that he is absolutely. Um, it will prove that he really is a challenge, a challenge for the future
1: been extremely obvious with our uh, our choices on this occasion (laughs) David yeah we're really pushing the boat out here Uh, yeah that's originality
0: yeah really really going obscure totally going obscure right what about losers
1: um loser well I would say yeah you know what Lorenzo man yeah Lorenzo 57 seconds what what the the hell's going on there yeah what's that all about 57 57 seconds back of um and you know what I don't even know if he can really fall back on this. I'm still recovering from injury crap that he's been peddling. Okay, it's not crap, but, you know, that sort of thing that he's been peddling for a, a while now. I don't, I don't think physically, really, it, I don't think that is a big percentage of why he's 57 seconds back.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's maybe 20 seconds of it, but it certainly isn't 57 seconds.
1: Yeah, and uh, when you consider after the race at Misano, his aim was to get within 30 seconds. He's actually, he's getting further away than he was a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's a, it's it's not really, a, it's not, well, he doesn't understand how to ride the bike. That That's very clear. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a great deal of, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think if you, if you look at the Manuel Pacino on PacinoGP.com, dot com has written an article about this um, today. We're on Thursday after the race. Um, yeah, it, basically he was saying that there doesn't seem to be a great deal of effort or drive on Lorenzo's part to to make this work at the moment.
0: Yeah, but if if Ducati if he knows that Ducati are going to offer him a ride uh, for you know twenty twenty one, then Perhaps there's no real need for him to actually make the effort to try to uh, uh, to try to you know push it so far, um, uh, risk the injuries. Uh, and he can just sort of sit there and say, "Build me a better bike, and maybe I'll go faster." And you know, Honda don't want to fire him. It's obvious they don't want to fire him because otherwise they would have. Um, so they'll just keep him there, and uh, he can sort of sit and cruise around near the back, unless honda build a much better bike next
1: year yeah but the, the idea of that is just absurd you yeah. know rider of lorenzo's quality being content to not even apply himself i mean it you know i'm not saying that that's going to happen next year but it does seem that he's he's very much off the opinion that he cannot get on with this year's bike and therefore it's just a case of getting towards the end of the season
0: and pinning his and hope hoping, on, on 2020
1: exactly hoping every fiber of his being that um next year's bike will be in some way more rideable for him into, uh, into corner entry um, when he's braking. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. Um, and the consequence of that is he's being shown up tremendous, like desperately. Yeah, You know, we were down in pitlane after, after the race um, trying to get hold of some of Marquez's crew to speak. There were Marquez's crew were all celebrating in the garage and Lorenzo trudges in with one of his technicians there and he's smiling and he's nodding at everyone, saying congratulations. And you, you just think, how can a, how can a rider of his standing? How can he even physically bear that <laughs> to smile? Like it must be crushing. It must be so soul destroying yeah. to be in to be in his shoes at that point. Um, so yeah, I don't know how much longer it can go on.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I can't really top that. You're absolutely you're absolutely right that he is uh, um, he really is the loser of this weekend. Uh, I think I would have to go for Aprilia. Um, obviously, Alicia Spagrow was having another, you know, pretty good weekend, and they have another mechanical DNF. And I, I can't remember, is that the, th- the third this year or the second? Um, anyway, multiple, they've had multiple mechanical DNFs in races, and you can't afford to have them in races. Um, uh, Spagrow was coming off a good race in Aragon, and... Uh, and so it, it it looks like they were going forwards, and yet there they are. They you know every time there's there's sort of like a, a spark of hope, then something goes horribly wrong, and they go backwards. So it just seems like it was a really difficult, uh, uh, yeah, a really difficult year year for them. It was a really difficult weekend for them. You see again, Iannone was just in the points, fifteenth. Didn't really feature, even though he's had uh, some some decent results recently. So it's uh, obviously the focus for Aprilia is all on 2020 uh, and on the new bike, which is we're expecting to see at Sepang next year um but it must be very very painful a bit like Lorenzo it must be very very painful for them to have to suffer through this every time they get a sort of you know a a little uh, a little sniff of success for it to be sort of whisked away from them through basically through sort of stupidity and um uh, as Bargaro said it was a mechanical part which uh, broke which caused which forced him to come in that's just it's just not it's not or it, I think a it, it was an electrical part it was a it was a piece which uh, which broke but it was a physical failure uh, that's not good
1: yeah no it's certainly not um, you could get away with that sort of in two thousand and seventeen you know the the RSGP is the you know the first full year of of the RSGP being or the second full year of the RSTP as I was with them, but this is, what, two years on from that, and, yeah. yeah, still, same things are happening.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it, it, it makes you worry that if they do build a fast bike for 2020, you're not sure whether it'll actually hold together to, uh, to, to finish the race. Right, well, uh, thank you very much, Neil Morrison. We better wrap up, because I've just got a message saying that your uh, battery is low, um uh we shall uh speak to well i shall speak to you again uh, soon uh, uh, i hope so the next power podcast will obviously be um uh, steve uh, english and gordon ritchie talking about the argentinian round of uh, world Superbikes. uh for us well we'll try and talk to you again after uh Btegi or well at, at some point at some way during the uh, during the flyaways um thank you very much for listening and thank you very much neil morrison for talking to us on this fine morning
1: thank you very much david it's been a pleasure as always
0: um just make sure to follow us on the social medias uh twitter at paddockpasspod facebook facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast we have a Patreon where you can help uh, support us um, uh, financially to go around the world uh, to actually bring you all of this. Um, we will have some special stuff for Patreon subscribers, uh, uh, not up yet, but what will be going up in a moment will be uh, the interview which Neil and Pete did with Takeo Yukiyama, so you can hear what Takeo Yukiyama has to say about uh, Mark Marquez and the Honda. Um, you can find us on patreoncom slash So thank you and goodbye.